If you're enjoying Mixtapes with Mike, there are three ways that you can support me right now. First off, if you can, follow me on Instagram. My account is at Mixtapes with Mike Podcast, and that's where I announce all of my episodes and I make daily posts about the artists and songs that feature in that week's mixtape. The link in my bio connects to either of my Apple Music or Spotify accounts, so you can listen to the back catalogue of previous mixtapes. And I also run monthly giveaways where one of my followers can win a brand new record. Secondly, if you're holding an iPhone, it would mean the world to me if you would take a moment to leave me a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me reach new people and grow the audience. And lastly, if you're listening on any other platform, somewhere there will be a share button. And it would be a massive help if you would click that button and send this podcast to any one of your friends who you think would enjoy it. And now, without further delay, here's this week's episode. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. Now this week's guest is a BAFTA award-winning TV producer who has also presented numerous action sports television programmes, as well as presenting on radio both in the UK and the US. But he has now transitioned into a celebrity barbecue chef and DJ, known as DJ Barbecue. This week's guest is Christian Stevenson. How are you doing? I'm good, man. That was that was, that was a good attempt at describing what we do. I call it catertainment. Uh, you know, well, you, it's it's so unique. You kind of have to come up with your own word. <laughs> Someday it'll be in the Webster Dictionary. Catertainment, where you not only entertain people but you feed them. <laughs> Mate, it's perfect. You're keeping people happy on two fronts. Like my yeah. my wife, my wife has like. Uh, the three things like if she's if she's cold tired or hungry you need to deal with that because otherwise you're going to have a bad day if you have any friends that start getting grumpy on you they're just like a child <laughs> they're one of those three you know yeah, yeah. And, and and what i always say is i mean i can't really help with the the sleeping part but I, the quickest way to someone's um heart is through their stomach and their ears yeah. so good music and good food and then you just gotta work sort out your rest <laughs> yeah that's fine so um this 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 is a bit of a weird one for me because like you were quite a a, a big part of my sort of sort of mid teens or early teens <laughs> I should say because you were the presenter of Rad on Channel 5. Jeez, that was a while ago. <laughs> and uh, at that point uh, we we didn't have a lot of money as a family, so we couldn't afford like Sky TV, which played the the majority of extreme sports and action sports. If, if well, there wasn't even much over there either. There there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it was really Trans World Sport did a bit, um, yeah. and then High Five, which was like the yeah. first show that featured stuff. And I ended up that's my first job I had in England was voicing that. But Rad was free skateboarding, snowboarding, BMXing, surfing content every Saturday. For almost ten years, for for ten years, it ran for ten years. Yeah, so I I had a VHS where I basically recorded every episode I could <laughs> because I didn't have skate videos. Yeah, so you had to buy them. Well, yeah, exactly. Or 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 you know, maybe when I got to know more skateboarders, you would maybe get if you were lucky to, enough to have a friend who had two VHSs in a house. Yeah. 
they would maybe do you like a little bootleg um but like i i had a i had a tape a videotape that was just back-to-back episodes of rad of you and churchill going various places getting into all kinds of hijinks and, and that that was my access to skateboarding awesome. when i was like 14 years old you, you, you know how we got the soundtrack for that no we put ads in enemy really yeah we put ads in enemy and we just said listen we're a pretty small budgeted skateboarding show action sports show on channel five um, and we treated it like we we did when I was making snowboard films. So when I was doing I'm an out day tripper, and when I was when I grew up watching you know fall line films and standard films, all those snowboard productions, they would always put the name of the artist, the song, the label on screen when it came up. It was like an MTV video back when MTV yeah. would just tell you who they were. So we did that to promote them. And I remember one time I was at the I was at the Q Awards on the red carpet interviewing you know all these stars and stuff and for for Kerrang because that's where I went to work a while ago Frank, from 2000 uh, I think 3 to 9 I was at Kerrang and um, and I see all these stars coming down and then you see Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys and he's got the disheveled hair and he's just not he doesn't care about talking to anybody so I just held my microphone over the red, red velvet rope and just started talking to this dude I recognized from when BBC Three started, and they had this thing called Liquid News, it's like it was this mm-hmm. guy calling, "You're the guy from Liquid News. You took you, you made news not so serious." And I was like just talking to him, and then Alex Turner stops his tracks, and he and he points at me. He's like, "Where do I know you?" <laughs> and I'm on the red carpet. I'm like, I'm on the other side. I'm a, I'm a journalist now, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I go, and the whole place just stares at me, and I go, I don't know. And then I look to his, his left, and there's Antoine Corb- Antoine Corbin. He ran his uh, PR company, Bad Moves. He did Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys. And I knew him because I was going to see him when I was doing soundtracks for Odd Men Out and Day Trip. Because mm-hmm. he had all the cool bands. I mean, I just yeah. named check three of the best bands ever. He had them on his stables. So I go, Anton. And he goes, Christian. And uh, and I was like, you know him, Anton? Anton's like, it's Christian. And, and so Alice Turner's like, Channel 5, Saturday mornings, 10.30. I go, yeah. And he jumps over the rope, shakes my hand. He goes, hi, I'm Alex Turner. I go, hi, I'm Christian Stevens. He's like, I know who you are. <laughs> I know that's a good name drop. But this maybe he turned into an, he turned into the, a teenage Michael right there. Like you said, yeah. you know, I mean, I get that with Warwood and a lot of like, the people that all kind of grew up on rad in their in their teens and he, he turned into that kid and it was really refreshing to see that instead of this disheveled i couldn't give a shit rock star you know yeah i have the same relationship with uh warwood and gendel like i don't know if they realize it but like <laughs> i have that relationship with them but but because c- like the first ever snowboard mag i i didn't know i don't even think i bought it i think it was like an old copy that i got given out of the shop um had had an an ad with Tim in it, and and then those guys are so like friendly and welcoming. So like they would they would always stop and say hi, and they were like they were like the cool kids at the skate park that could do right. everything. You know, yeah. it's just and like friendly so, with it. yeah, exactly. Like they've they've you know they've they've always had time for everyone, which is why I think they're so beloved by people. But like like I I work with Tim and and again now like helping out with their podcast, and I'm like. This is kind of crazy, yeah. you know. It's it's, it's nice it's, you get to work with your heroes. 
it's it's nuts how things work out. That's what it is. So I, I, I mean, I, you know, used to you know, look after him and take him to events and wine and dine him, and then uh, and then I started employing him. You know, I yeah. got I got him on the rad tours, and I even got Gandolin because one of my directors was doing pit my ride <laughs> with little John, so he couldn't come on the uh, the, the Latvian last series of rad, and I got Gandolin to come on as a director. So it was it was good kind of watching them progress from you know Groms to snowboarders to pro snowboarders to content creators and and personalities and comedians and and just makers of awesomeness. I'm I'm, now I'm so proud. I'm blown away. It's when the Padawan takes over and they become the Jedi's. You know. Yeah, and like, do you have this? I don't know if you have this sort of thing, but like, when you when you get someone who's like really good at what they do, I kind of perceive them like like an older person, even if they're younger than I am. Like I oh, go yeah. because they because they're like so accomplished, I I see them as like an older, more experienced, sort of better entity. I feel like everybody's older than me, and I'm the oldest one of the bunch. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in awe of everybody, you know. I'm just blown away by everybody's talents. Uh, even though they're like, well, it was odd and out. They got me to start making snowboard films. I'm like, well, that's cool, you know. Uh, but you guys added way more humor than I could ever have come up with. I mean, and that I think that's the quickest way to entertainment. And and I got that from watching all the Fall Line films. Like, there's more here than just music and writing. There's just a bit of more commentary, social commentary, and getting into who these people are. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just boring music and writing. I want to see. I just want a bit more. And that's what Kendall and Warwick gave us. Yeah, they, they definitely they 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 attach personality to everything they do. That's it. And you need personality. And, and Tony Hawk told me this. I know Madonna told me to quit name dropping, but Tony Hawk said the problem with because I I've, I've been interviewing the guy for like fifteen years, so I've seen all his stages. Yeah, and and the ups and downs of skateboarding. And, I, and this is like kind of when skateboarding had its big resurgence in the uh, in the mid to late nineties, and and there were so many pros. And he said, it's getting confusing for the kids because there's just so many and you need to, and that's why it was so fun in the mid eighties because you had the Pal Perel team, you had the Alva team, you know, you had, you know, you had all these teams and there weren't that many pros. So you could build these rock stars up. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to have everybody get a little slice of the pie, but you do need the big rock stars, you know, for, to kind of bring it into the mainstream so it can be legitimized even if you don't want it to legitimize you still got to pay bills yeah you need you need those sort of temple names to to push something forward and so you can grow it and and every time it's every time it's died away it's come back stronger because it's gone wider and it's taking root in more places yeah and you you see that with like ladies skateboarding now like so fun it's so exciting you know and and now you get people like Helen along, you know, UK skaters. I mean, I, that was like one of my last signings on bands and just watching her get her, her pro board and all these, you know, Sam Bruce was one of the early ones. And and then you got the ones in the States, but half of those are, oh God, they're, they still think uh, the election was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I won't name names, <laughs> but they're the conspiracy theory ones. You're like, you're like the sickest skater. And now you and now you think the election was stolen. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of disappointing when you see stuff like that. Like, oh, I thought you were cool. Oh, I stay friends with them, and I try to be diplomatic. You know, I don't, I don't argue. It's me and JP Solberg 
and Calais Erickson. Like we're like the me and all the social Democrat socialists are just on all of our friends' pages that are like yeah. pros with them, and uh, and we just try to talk reason with them. And just you, you can't. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 sometimes it's it's not worth getting stuck into the debate, especially like online because it's very hard to reach a middle ground because with with especially if it's online it's 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 I'm good one at way that, or dude. it's the other i'm good at it because i agree with a lot of their points and then yeah. and i think that kind of bridges the gap and then i can try to talk just give them some facts which they <laughs> yeah but that's a that's that's a rare perspective to have like you, you usually everything online is so polarized it's it, it's not very often you get someone who concedes a point or sees something from the other person's perspective to try and find middle ground it's just it's the this. only way it's the only way you can survive it if you exactly. don't try to find middle ground or put yourself under their shoes you're just going to keep clashing so i i yeah. try you know i i agree with them here and there and i extend the olive branch and then try to bring discussion until some of them are just too hot-headed or their friends are and they just start calling me names and i'm like well okay if that's the way you want to resort to anyway let's talk about music <laughs> thank god one of us got this podcast back on track <laughs> i was like I was... <laughs> well we, we we've got the best song in the world to play your audience brother okay all the right best so... song in the world ever okay so this isn't this isn't just my number one my one of my songs in my top 100 this is the best song ever ever recorded okay so tell me who your first track is by was that too much <laughs> no that's fine <laughs> okay my first track is pastor t.l barrett um you know i'm not a religious man but i love uh soulful gospel just euphoric driven music and um, the the keyboard player from the Horrors, uh, uh, Tom and I roll, and he he's a good record digger, and he introduced me to this song, and I just started playing it. And all my DJs I work with, they're always like, "What is this?" And I tell them, "This is this is this is a church choir." Um, they, so they but they have to have the vinyl. So they go try to find the vinyl. Christian, you know the, you, the, they're going for a minimal three hundred euros. Uh, that's the cheapest I found it. Mainly, most of them are about 425, 500 euros for the record, the original record. So for years, we just had to play it off CD. Mm-hmm. And then uh, luckily, a, a, a light in the attic records re-released it. And uh, my, my the two DJs uh, put money together and they bought it for me. So he just did this church record, Pastor T.L. Baird and the Youth for Christ Choir Sings <laughs> at the Mount Zion Baptist Church. 5512 South Lafayette Avenue, Chicago, Illinois. So, and yeah, with the postcode. So it's just, they left it the way he made it. Like he just pressed it. Yeah. Not that many copies, but oh my goodness. So the track you're about to hear, it's got everything. And then at the end, it's a big song. At the end, it goes Temptations Ball of Confusion. And it's, it's just got this funk and this piano and this, and this, it just makes you feel good, and that's it, where I love good music. It, first time I heard it, because it because it kind of fades in, right? Yeah. So I was like, this this it, and it's so. It's not like it's not like there's a a, a lead singer. It, it's like it's this massive cacophony of of joy, but it, and youth but it, and youth. 
and who aren't perfect and flat notes. You know, not everybody's hitting the right note, but I like. It sounds that. real. It sounds yeah. real as a result, and but it, it it almost struck me like like opening or closing credits music. You know what I mean? Like it's just got that nice rolling, infectious kind of tone good call. And, rolling. It does. It has this little. It just kind of rolls you along. I mean, if you, I think, if you want to uh, go into the gym and work out, this is a good, easy, easy into the gym routine song. Yeah, like warm up and warm down kind of music. Yeah. Like you could you could bookend the playlist with this and go right. We've like like you've you've got to the end of a journey. Like you've achieved something. Yeah. And All then right, if you so the, when you, and then when you get to the end of the, the when the journey's over on this song, it's this full cosmic, you know, you know, ball of confusion. You'll hear. I mean, I think it's a full nod to the Temptations "Ball of Confusion," which has been covered by so many bands. Um, but I, and I think Pastor Dale Barrett did it so righteous with this all you know youth choir, <laughs> youth for Christ choir. <laughs> all right, so this track is Pastor T. L. Barrett. Nobody knows. T.L. Barrett, bit of a gear change already. Who's our next track by? Oh, okay. So I am a Smashing Pumpkins freak. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember when the day this album came out, Siamese Dream, it was summer 93. I was working at a snowboard shop in Australia called Cherry Cherry Pow Pow. You answer the phone. Cherry Cherry Pow Pow, bro, brow. Anyway, the day Siamese Dream came out, we had the closest record store was about i think two hours away kuma or something like that or you know there weren't many record stores down in the in the the mountains so we loaded up and drove i think we spent five hours driving back and forth just to buy siamese dream and uh this is uh i think track nine on the record and it's the only it's it's um james deha song it was written by the guitar player Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to clear it for many a soundtrack, but Corgan wouldn't let me have it. He'd let me have his other stuff, but he wouldn't let me have that song, even though Eha wrote it. Because I have to clear publishing rights. Anyway, it's just one of those songs that's always gotten away from me, and I've always been trying to use it. Uh, and it's called Mayonnaise. And I remember missing my exit in Vail, Colorado, going home and watching the sunset. And I'm on the highway, and this song's playing, and I'm like, I'm not getting off. I want to watch the sun while I drive. You know, it's. It's just a, it's just a beautiful song. I've never done that deliberately. I've always missed exits because I was lost in the music, not because <laughs> I, I wanted to like 
Like I've, I've thought about it. Like I've been like literally one junction away from my house and going, oh man, I don't want this to end. Like yeah. maybe I'll just maybe I'll just drive one more uh, along and, and loop back. But like I've definitely accidentally missed okay. exits and had to go on major M6 based detours. Sure. Well, I, I just did it on purpose to this song. It was one of those songs where it warranted, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll get it the next exit. <laughs> All right. So this is Smashing Pumpkins Mayonnaise. So we've listened to the Smashing Pumpkins. Who are we listening to now? Oh gosh, we are gonna go. Okay, so Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, and Young uh, was a band that I grew up with with my parents, you know. And then I finally got a hold of the vinyl for Crosby, Stills and Nash, and you know, Young wasn't supposed to be in the band. He's in the band, you know. There's that photo of them on the on the porch, and then there's a, another photo when you clip the album over and. I'm pretty sure it's Neil Young looking through the window. And when you see them perform songs from this album live, there's one version of them doing, um, I forget the name of the song, but it's with Tom Jones. So you've got Tom Jones fronting Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, a very young Young. And it's probably my, that is my single favorite video on YouTube uh, after a Beck one where he reimagines the sound and vision by David Bowie. Um, but this album, I think, is perfect. And this song, Helplessly Hoping, I mean, it. I know we're going really somber here, but I remember introducing this to, like, Tim Woolward, and he, I think he said it's his most played song on his, on his computer. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> well, like, we, like, I don't know that much about Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I've had them, I've, they've been recommended to me by a couple of friends, but unless I have a way to listen to it there and then I'll 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 forget about it sure. like I'll just I'll, I'll just carry on and like a lot of people um a lot of people rave about Fleetwood Mac rightfully so but like I've never I've never been like hooked in by them like I've I, maybe because they've been played to me so many sure. so many times by other people I've kind of like I've not needed to can you imagine but, when rumors came out and going to a dinner party and then going to another dinner, it's, it must have been the most played album at dinner parties. You've been so sick of it. But this album that I'm giving you, my friend, is better than rumors. Well, this is it. Like, I listen to this track and go, like, I think this sounds better than Fleetwood Mac. Some people would probably kill me f- for saying that. They probably no! disapprove. But I think this sounds like a better, more well-rounded out band. And I, this song made me want to listen to the rest of the album. And, and Mike, did you did you go to the first track, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes? There's five songs, at least four pop songs in that one song. Back then, bands would just load these songs up. I mean, Paul McCartney did it all the time with the Wings, you know, Band of Run. There's like four songs in that. They yeah. could just use one of them bits and made a really good song. But they put, I mean, he was just throwing stuff away into these songs. Albert, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. He's got five mm-hmm. hit singles in one song. Why do they do that? Full it, tempo changes. Yeah, complete. It's, it, and you, you don't see many people do that now. Although some, like I've seen just recently, there's there's been a lot of like sort of a hip-hop artists where they'll release 
like a like a an epic music video that is like four or five songs kind of melded together so it tells more of a, a story um but other than that i don't see any people like combining more than one concept in one song or, or in one sort of performance like that well not maybe not so stark no like full you know I, i'm when we, with sweet judy blue eyes i'm always like wow that's really catchy oh you're gonna go here with it oh that's even more catchy. and then you give me this little this little bridge and that's a great catchy bit uh there's a there's a modern band now called car seat headrest who do these pretty epic 11 minute jams and 10 minute jams and to me they're that they're they've got those big sounding songs lots of cool bits that go from despair and give you hope and then go euphoric and endemic i kind of think they're do you, do you see best. how excited i am that you've brought them up like the best band of the past seven years i literally brought them up in the episode that came out last week with forrest shaw because he was talking about a band that he discovered because it had a pretty stupid name and then he looked into it and went oh these guys are great and like um well, when the world turns, I I do stand up in my spare time. So I'm okay. I'm so I'm stood in a hipster coffee shop in Manchester, and and I'm looking at all the cliche hipster stuff in in the room because I want to write a bit about it. So I'm like, you know, I like the the shiny white tiles, the the hipster. Uh, Bar- baristas with the tattoos and the side partings and the you know the twiddled moustaches and guys on their laptops working on their screenplays and then there's this pillar of like gig posters and I and I see car seat headrest I'm like that's a fucking stupid name for a band that's fucking ridiculous and I had a proper curmudgeon moment where I was just like what the fuck are kids doing today and then I went well I'll, all right I'll listen to it and. They sound like Weezer and the Strokes had a baby and I wanted to adopt that baby and oh, take it home. Like a little bit cosmic. of little bit of little bit of back, a little bit of pavement. Uh just you, you know, my kids know every single word to Ten- Teens of Denial, that whole entire album. My kids can sing the whole album verbatim. Cosmic Hero. Like I, I Cosmic Hero is their best song ever. And I went song five times, six times, and they finally played it because they had to get the opening band to come on and play with them. And but my girlfriend at the time was all drunk and just being <laughs> oh annoying. And I was like, and she wanted to go because she was hungry and drunk. I'm like, they're playing Cosmic Hero. I'm not leaving. Honestly, others. I'm gonna have to put this episode out like in a couple of weeks so people don't hear the same story. Back in back to back weeks, but like I, 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 there have been times when I've played Cosmic Hero like five times in a row. It's an eight minute long song, and that's not long enough for me. Like it's so good. It, it can t- keep going. It, it, and then they gave me that Concordia track, you know, about mm-hmm. the, the you know that boat that went down off the coast of Naples, and he mm-hmm. laments about the captain. Um, and that's eleven minutes, and that's yeah. my so. Cosmic Hero is my 14-year-old's my favorite song, and then that Concordia track is Blue, my 20-year-old kid's favorite song.
Anyway, we're, weren't we talking about another band? <laughs> we were talking about Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, yeah. But I'm gonna, but, we're going to say Young, even though Young's name's not on this record. We're still going to say Young, because I think he was involved. Yes. All right, so this track is? I'm going to give him props. All right, Helplessly Hoping, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. You might want to get a, a little tissue to have a little cry, but it's a lovely cry. You're waiting in. Gasping at glimpses of gentle true spirit He runs, wishing he could fly Only to trip at the sound of good Alright, so moving on from um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and our longest digression so far uh, <laughs> Who are we listening to now? Well, I should put Cosmic Hero, Carsey Headrest in, but if, if I get a top 11, uh, we'll throw that in. But no, the, the song I want to play is probably my longest favorite song. I've, I've been in love with this song for so long. Um, I used to write this band when I was in Colorado working at K-Ski Radio out of Vail, playing the classics in today's best rock. You got to tune to 104.7993 K-Ski. And um, I would write, I had the graveyard shift one summer. So I worked like from like midnight till six or two till eight in the morning. And, you know, I was bored and, you know, truck drivers coming down I-70 listening to my music. So I would just write letters. And Uncle Tupelo were the first band to write me a letter back. The drummer wrote me a letter back on yellow paper with the lines. And I was offering to do music videos for him because I was, you know, really into doing, you know, production stuff. I was offering them, I'll, I'll direct a music video for you guys for free. Um, and I remember they they kind of were the, they were the kind of beginning of this alt country. I know they say Graham Parsons, the Flying Burrito Brothers, is more alt country. But to me, Uncle Tupelo, they were the beginning. And, but they would melt their amps. So half the album was these beautiful acoustic songs and, you know, just, you know, whiskey stained, marble red stained songs. And then the rest were these heavy rockin' songs. Like, it was almost like, I don't know, Neil Young meets Nirvana. Even yeah. though Neil Young would go really electric and stuff, but I'm talking a bit more Melt Your Amps. Then they did this album, like, in four days. Uh, it's like, it's, I forgot the name, of March something something, 27th. They had, It was basically titled Those Days of March, where they recorded it. And they got Peter Buck, uh, the, I think the bassist from uh, R.E.M., to produce it. No way. Yeah. Um, I think Buck was the bassist, uh, and and it's just this beautiful banjo. There's no words, uh, and I just it feels it just makes me feel really good. It feels sweet, just the the tinkling of the banjo. Uh, this is this is Sandusky by Uncle Tupelo. Now, moving on from Uncle Tupelo. You don't move on too quick. You've got to tell them what they became because they split. Okay, go for it. Wilco. So oh, Jeff right. Tweedy, Jeff Tweedy became Wilco and Jay Farrar became Sunbolt. And they, because they had two exceptional singers. Um, and then it gave Tweedy time to shine with Wilco and then, of course, do the solo album. So, if you want to really dive into early Wilco, 
Uncle Tupelo. Amazing. See this. This is this is one of the main reasons that I that I do this podcast is that people <laughs> bring the this 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 music that I wouldn't have found otherwise to me, and then I get to go off on these little sort of deep dives, uh, yeah. and 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 YouTube spirals, just finding like live performances of stuff. And oh, no, that's, you're so smart, Mike. <laughs> I'm a very lazy music fan, like. <laughs> No, you're like, not. You gave Carsey uh, Headrest a listen, even if you didn't think the name was any good. <laughs> oh, bad. Like, I, and I will tell a joke about it at some point. I swear to God. Um, so, so moving on from Uncle Tupelo, um, we're moving on to a track that there are two versions of, or two parts to. So I had to right. double back and go right. Which one? Which part is the one that you want on your mixtape? Because and I'm sure, I'm sure, glad you did. Because they, you, you have to play the right one to make this moment work. And I'm really sorry I didn't start with the bigger hitting songs at the big. You know, I should have come in firing with all of these jams. You know, like this song. Oh God! You know when you hear a soul artist and they're screaming, and, yeah. and it, you could just you could feel your the vocal cords shredding and the pain and the hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and you can hear that with Lee Moses. In this yeah. song, and I've played it for people over the last year, and they're like, "This is one of the best things I've ever heard." Again, you won't find this 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 forty five for le less than I think two hundred euros. Mm -hmm. um, I've been trying to find it on Discogs. It's just an expensive uh, original forty five pressing, but it's called Lee Moses Bad Girls Part One, and it's one of those songs you'll have to play like three or four times just to really because you'll, you'll you'll get addicted to it. Because you want to hear that that hurt or that how 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 much he means it when he sings it. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, another artist that that was brought to me by this mixtape podcast um, that that has a similar thing is Charles Bradley. Yeah, well so, said. Well said. So uh, I did an episode with a, a comic based out in LA called Aisha Alpha, and she actually knew him i think she she was dating his bassist for a while and but but imagine now I, I think i'd seen a little bit about him like in passing but didn't really i didn't really grasp the whole story yeah so imagine learning more about him in an hour-long conversation and then finding out that he's gone like oh yeah. my god like but at the end of it at the end of his big at the end of his life, the beginning of his career just started. It's just such a, I mean, I know he had a crazy life. You know, we were yeah. just, you know, he was in a James Band cover band and, and then, you know, quit music and went, you know, working and uh, kind of like almost like Shuggy Otis, Shuggy Otis and all these other, you know, all these other artists that have just didn't get discovered till post <laughs> their, their glory years. You know what I mean? But then Charles Bradley's, has, you know, his, his last record was banging. You know, he, he yeah. has that, that rip in his voice that works. And you know who else does that rip really well, but not anymore? Uh, Caleb Followell, first album, uh, Kings of Leon. He he has that 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 Marlboro Red 20 a day, like strain in the voice, but the still grit. pulls it together. That that what? That grit? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, grit, that it. sort of um that it sounds like Yeah, yeah. It's it it sounds like there are people who sing and that can hold a note, and there is there are there are people who are trying to push the song out of them, 
at their limit, and that's where that sound comes from, I think. Well said. Um, it so might, what, it might, that needle might be in the red, but it's okay. But it sounds better for it. Sometimes it sounds better that it's being pushed. So I'm, I'm curious to know, with the Lee Moses track, why part one over part two? Um, because when I first heard it, I just heard Lee Moses. And and then I went searching for it, and I kept listening to part two. That's the only one I could find at the moment, at the time, and it didn't hit me the way part one did. Okay. And then I found part one. I'm like, okay, this is the one I first heard, and this is the one I get. And I know it's a weird fade. It's got a weird fade and stuff because it has the part two, but it, it is part one that really lets you know this man's been through it. Yeah, that's what it is about that grit. Like people who've lived a life. Mm-hmm. You can hear the experience and like the the pain and the joy and everything when they've got that voice. It conveys that this isn't someone who's just singing on a record. This is someone who's got a fucking story. There's history in the in the in the in the sound of his voice. There's history there. Yeah, and that's and that's what I like. I I don't want to hear that 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 history from um, Liam Gallagher because I think he just whines now. He he he's, he he smoked too many fags and. He's lost that 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 touch. It's just now a wine. I don't like that history. Noel, I'll listen to you because Noel's got that sweetness to his voice. So I don't know how I got to Oasis from here, but I did. No, no but like there's there's a there's a there's a change over time with certain artists, especially people who've got like longevity, where it's very rare that they still sound the same. 15, 20 years down the line than they did when they first grabbed the world with their sound. Um, like, I've, I'm struggling to name one right now, but I, I know that I've had this feeling where Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl's a good example, where like, I'll listen to him sing live and I'm like, sometimes I worry for him. I'm just like, oh man, I don't know how I much longer. I, I, I'm a vo- I do voiceovers for a living. I so worry for David Grohl. It's, it's incredible you say that, but he had to retrain his himself to sing. So he's got a technique that he's doing to make it sound that you should be worried. Yeah. You know, um, lead singer, Blue My Valentine, Matt Tuck, he blew his vocal cords out. He had to retrain yeah. himself. Avenged Sevenfold had the same problem. Because I've interviewed all these guys and they've, they've all blown their voices out and then they had to retrain. Lead singer, While She Sleeps, Taylor, he did it too. Because they didn't learn the technique. They just screamed thinking hey i'm gonna be fine but that is a very important muscle this this, yeah, this voice box and you've got to and but you're right how but you know grohl he learned how to do it but i still when you hear it, you're like you're not gonna you're not gonna make tomorrow's gig with the way you're singing right now yeah like it's it's astounding that <laughs> when, when you think about the the amount of gigs that these bands will play you're just like dude you've got another 20 dates what are you doing? Yeah, I, I sometimes, if I know that band's on the end of their tour, I might not get tickets for that. I'll try to get them in the first couple. Like, if they're just starting a tour, I might change the dates to catch them, like, three in. So they've had a couple of gigs to warm up. Yeah. Then I'll catch them so the voice is sweet. Yeah. And they're feeling kind of tight and still a bit loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in in the pocket, but not played out, and like over it, and just get not bored, yeah, in the pocket, but not bored of their own songs. <laughs> All right, so this this Lee Moses track is Bad Girls Part One. 
Did you like it? Have you heard it before? No, no. Well, the, the, the cool thing was, like, so, like, I didn't know which part it was initially, so I put both on the list. So I think I'll just delete the one that he doesn't want once I've checked. So I got this quite sweet one-two punch of, of both versions, and I fucking love the horns. I love that, <laughs> you know. It's... It's really when it when it sort of picks up momentum and then and they drop in, it's just like, yeah, proper toe tapper, you know. It, it, it makes it like you're like you, you're like I hope this guy made a little bit of money. <laughs> you're worried yeah. for him the whole time, and then it, it gives you the horns, and the horns give you and like an endemic feel. Like that's why Carsey Headrest use them, especially being a yeah. cosmic hero. Those horns that. Yeah, and then when he brings him in with with all the other instruments and the layers of guitars and yeah, uh, it just gives you that anthemic feel. That yeah. I don't know. It, horns are more tangible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they got a tangible vibe, and it's I don't know. I <laughs> love keyboards can always imitate them. I still like a real horn. I I opened for a band called The Heavy a few times back when I was still playing and they would have like the, the click track with with horns on it but whenever they had they would they would they would quite often get like local musicians to sure. come in. Um I, I there's a there's a ska band that I used to gig with called Tempting Rosie. Amazing, very young, loads of energy, ran their own nights. And I think a couple of those guys ended up playing brass for the heavy at a couple of the Birmingham gigs. Uh, and was it better? Yeah, so much better. Fre- Friendly so Fires good. do it too. Like they would, they would tour with uh, three three horn players, and I'm yeah. like, makes you sound bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 Lee Moses not only sounds big, he sounds like he's in a he's in a bathroom recording <laughs> that song. <laughs> And then they take the then they take the tape and they drag it through the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now um, this next track, this next track, I the I hadn't heard the this version. If, if this is the original version, which I believe it is, it is uh, the first well, time no, I heard it, it. It might not be. You know, we I could be wrong here. You never know. Sometimes there could have been like an old old 60s soul track that this is covered from you, you never know but like the first time i heard this track it was actually sampled in i believe it was a two-pack song two-pack sampled it by the way two-pack couldn't rap oh wow that's a bold statement two-pack was the better actor than he was a rapper wow that's a that's um, a... I'm, I'm trying to unlearn that way of thinking because i have played california love many a time but that's just basically the zap band uh you know it's a full zap song and 
I mean, you can't, and you got Dre on production, you can't really mess it up. I just thought he was a much better actor than he was a rapper. That's wow, controversial. That's a, yeah, yeah, it's but, but but I don't know enough about him to to argue the other side. But I know he's held in high regard by 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 other hip hop heads. So Juice, so, watch Juice. That was a good movie with him and Lawrence Fishburne. Okay, and I think so, Janet Jackson was in that too. Okay. That was my childhood crush, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I, is that is that is the record cover where someone stood behind her, basically? Oh no, I'm talking, about, I'm talking when she was a child actor because she's a little bit older than me. So I was always like just fancied her. And Good Times, Different Strokes. What other TV shows did she do? She was in all these big sitcoms, uh, black sitcoms, mm-hmm. and then. Um, and then she came out with, you know, nasty and, and all that stuff. And, and that I used to mow the lawn, you know, with my, my yellow Walkman, my splash proof Walkman, just bobbing along to her debut album. You know, when I think of you and all those great songs. Amazing. So, so yeah, the first time I ever heard this track was on. What are we, what are we talking about? Bobby Caldwell. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's all right. War would warn me that this would happen. He said, this is going to be a two-hour episode. You're, you're going to go off on some tangents, but you're going to enjoy it. Um, but so, yeah, I first heard this track sampled in the Tupac song. And then I heard it more recently because there's a, there's a multi-instrumentalist who put out a video on YouTube where she's doing like live looping which is obviously close to my heart, but um, her name is Elise True, or maybe Trow, it's T-R-O-U-W, and she does a mashup of Everlong by the Foo Fighters oh, and sings and sings this track over the top of it, what? and it's beautiful. Dude, I'll send you... You gotta send me that. send it to you um I, I, she ended up playing it on uh, the tonight show i believe um but yeah yeah she's she's amazing she does a lot of like mashups and stuff but that's the one that i discovered and i was just like amazing i'm pretty sure she's using like ableton or something like that because this the sound production for a live loop thing is very on point it's mine was good and so she's using ableton live no, but she's like, but like she's she she plays she plays guitar, she plays bass. She's really good on drums, like technically good on drums. That's what really blew me away about her. So, by the way, there's two videos you have to watch related to Bobby Caldwell. Okay. So, if you ever want to watch this on YouTube. Make sure you watch the live version where he plays it on a, on a beach, I think, in Miami. Some local radio station set him up. I mean, it is, it just defines the time. There's all these, you know, it's all, you know, he's got a trucker hat on, mullet, you know, the cool sunglasses. 
the band looked phenomenal. Like she'd do more close-ups of the band. And then they just cut away to like really bad windsurfing and sailboating, but they're not doing anything. It's just really, and then they start cutting to a couple crowd shots. Like, Give us some crowds. I just want to look at people, what they wore that time. But yeah, Bobby Caldwell could not look cooler. And then there's another clip of a, of a comedian that did this whole thing about how he discovered Bobby Caldwell wasn't black. And he, it's a really funny video because he's like, listen, you know, I thought I had a good sense for, you know, who, you know, who, who, you know, who they were. But I thought my entire life that Bobby Caldwell was black, but it was this white dude that could just croon, man. And what you do, what was it? What we do for love and what you do for love. What, what you don't do for love. That's it. Um, yeah, he just, he's got soul. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful voice. And I was never a Tupac fan before, but that was the <laughs> one track that I that I like to listen to, but more for the the sample of the record. Than this is the reason why the, you like Tupac. No, 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 no. This the, the, that's the only reason I like that song was the sample, not okay. the rapping. Gotcha. So maybe I maybe I agree with you on that. I don't know, but um, <laughs> like I I like listening to the instrumentation that the track was built on. Sure. Which is what which is why I like that you put it in because like I get to listen to what we perceive to be the original. So this is good. track is this was this too easy no not at all okay because i no i didn't know what to, i didn't know what stevie wonder track to do but there's superstition's there's so, too easy yeah that, that superstition that might have been like a, an easy pick i don't think this is is too easy but the thing is with someone who's got such a, a broad back catalog there's going to be so many iconic tracks depending on which one speaks to the person who's making their mixtape so it's yeah and, and i say it to a lot of people who come on it's like the mixtape is whatever you want it to be for whatever reason you want it to be so so yeah so tell me tell me about this track well do i do is okay i, I i'm just thankful that stevie wonder has not done anything wrong because with michael jackson i can only play everything pre I've spoke to so many DJs about what do we do about Michael Jackson, you know? Mm -hmm. And they go, okay, the way we're looking at it, we can play him pre-white. <laughs> so we're allowed to play <laughs> off the wall and thriller. But I think we, we think anything past thriller, he might've been a bit wrong <laughs> when he went white. So that thank, thank, thank whoever there is out there, the gods of allowing me to DJ. Cause I remember DJing a big party for a, uh, a, an X Games producer and like a lot of big people were there and I it was right when he was being on he was on trial you know Michael Jackson and mm -hmm. I played one of the classics you know Don't Stop Till You Get Enough or I'm starting something you know somebody just always feels example and then people will come to me like what are you doing I go he's on trial you know innocent to proven guilty and I was like damn 
what am I going to do? You know, and I rinsed Ignition by R. Kelly right to the end, you know, and I rinsed Bumping <laughs> Grind right to the end because I cannot touch those. I can, I can never touch them again. We can't touch Lost Profits ever again. I feel really no. bad for the rest of the band. But thank Me you, too. Stevie Wonder, for being good. <laughs> well, this there's this whole thing where, like, a lot of... A lot of big names who are beloved by people are probably, they've all made mistakes. They're probably not as nice as you would hope them to be because of- Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Rolling Stones, don't even get started. Thank God they didn't have social media. Doesn't excuse them. Doesn't excuse them. And some of it's documented, but it's just not referred to. Like Richard Pryor was a pretty troubled dude who you know was not always the nicest person to his wife but we we hold him up on a pedestal yeah for, for for his output for his creative endeavors we don't really trash him for his personal life and i think that's that's a problem that we're experiencing now where people should undeniably be called out for their wrongdoings yeah um so we, we're cool with Stevie, right? Because <laughs> like Stevie, Stevie championed people. You know, you know, Mitty Ripperton is right. Yeah. You know, loving you is easy because you. She was in a band in Chicago. Wasn't the lead. It was all named after the guy in the band. She was just a vocalist. Didn't really work out for her. Stuff that was happening. Her and her partner ended up moving to Florida. They ended up becoming school teachers. And then Stevie was just he found these old these these recordings of Mitty. He was like, oh my god, we gotta. We got to produce this woman. You know, where is she? And they go, well, she's kind of quit the business. She's, you know, they're doing other stuff. So he called them, called Minnie and said, listen, I want to produce an album. I'll do everything. I'll get you out to L.A. We're going to make it work. And she's like, well, OK, you know, let's try it again. So he gets Minnie and her partner out and they're in the Laurel Canyons. They're in their house and they uh, they get a phone call one night. And it's, you know, it's evening, early evening. And it's Stevie. And, you know, they were kind of getting ready for bed and getting ready for that kind of thing. And, and he's like, they go, hey, Stevie, you know, what are you doing? He's like, well, I was calling to find out what you guys are doing. They go, oh, we're not nothing. Just kind of just chilling out. You know, it's getting late. Well, can, can I come over? And they were like, yeah, you don't say no to Stevie Wonder, you know. Plus, he's just he's got her out there to record. And they and they go, yeah, we'd love to see you, Stevie. <laughs> and then and they goes, do you guys like fried chicken? And they're like, well, yeah, sure, we'll eat some chicken. And they go, Stevie, where are you? He was on their front doorstep. He was one of the very first people in America that had the big suitcase phones. And right. he just would, he just loved surprising people and just being able to call people wherever he wanted. That was a bit of a thing, and he could afford it. Uh, and he was on the front doorstep with a bucket of chicken and a suitcase with a phone, inviting himself over. <laughs> I love stuff like that. I love hearing like quirky stories about people. <laughs> being like eccentric and like spontaneous like that i heard boy george tell a story about stevie where like oh, yeah. i can't remember i can't remember exactly but like i think boy george said something that stevie wonder didn't like and stevie wonder literally pinned him up against the wall like 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 ninja said but like but i think it's a quote from like boy george's book but like at the end of the quote is like, like i bet he can see because it's yeah. weird <laughs> superstition is one of those tracks I'm going to do an episode. I'm going to do an episode of tracks, like have 10 different guests, like 10 little short sections where people say, what's the track that if you hear it at a wedding, you have to dance to? 
and Superstition is one of those tracks. You know, have, I, you, I, have you seen the documentary about the guys who produced it? No. They wanted him. They 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 wanted him angry because they really felt. Because you know he wrote that for Jeff Beck. That was a favor for Jeff Beck. That wasn't meant to be a Stevie Wonder song. Okay. That was a favor for Jeff. I think Jeff did some guitar work for him, and and uh, he wrote it for Jeff to be on his album. So I mean, Beck recorded it. I think he recorded it first, and then they go, "You, Stevie, this is too good." Uh, I think that's how the the, the times get away. Wait, so they they recorded Stevie. They go. But Stevie was always so nice and pitch perfect. And they go, this song needs to have Stevie angry. So they just kept, they kept saying, no, nah, that wasn't good enough. Nope, not good enough. They made him do like 19 takes, 20 takes, trying to piss off Stevie. And they couldn't piss him off. <laughs> because they wanted him like, doing kind of a Lee Moses and Bad Girl. That's what they wanted. There's, yeah. And, and, leading, leading into the later choruses, there's a little bit more of a growl in him. So it's interesting Great. to know that where that comes from. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, I love stories like that. <laughs> I think they're even aren't they like Norwegian or Swedish producers or something? It's just really funny hearing these really calm people saying we, we wanted to make Stevie angry. <laughs> it's really it's not easy of, getting Stevie angry. <laughs> these really monotone Europeans going, Yes, yeah. we wanted to do this. <laughs> But the reason I've chosen the song we're playing is I, I spin music for a living. Uh, you know, I DJ so many parties, so many festivals. And if I really want to get a dance floor going with a good classic funk soul song, it ain't, it ain't superstition for me. I mean, mm -hmm. that's an easy crutch if you need it at a wedding. Yeah. But I'd rather go do I do because it's got that. It's got a bit more of a, an oomph to it. It's got it's got a bit more pace to it. Mm -hmm. Superstition's slow. You know, a lot of DJs yeah. have to speed up superstition to make it work on a dance floor. You know, it's easy if you've got old timers and stuff, you know, because it's an easy song to dance to superstition. But do I do? You got to bring your game to this dance party. Because it's so up-tempo. Yeah. Like, like Holiday by Madonna. That song can fill a dance floor. Holiday, um, Into the Groove, they got that kind of that tonga vibe, you know, that percussion, that, 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 that African vibe. It's just, And this mixtape is so self-indulgent. Yeah, but that's what it's supposed to be. It's your mixtape. It's like... Right. I feel really bad. I could have done like a banging mixtape to make everybody party. Mate, if you're enjoying doing this, there's absolutely no reason why we can't do another another episode farther down the line. <laughs> okay. so. I'm used to making parties rock, and I'm, I opened up with... Well, I mean, nobody knows it's killer, but that Sandusky is almost hoping in the mix. <laughs> Such mellow tunes. But this next song, I mean, again, it's fucking long, uh, but it's one of my favorite albums ever. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Okay. I'm not sure. No, actually, I was going to I thought for, for a second, I thought it was the first time The Cure had been put in. But I, I've, I've just remembered that The Cure were put in the very first episode of this when I first launched it back in 2017. Who picked uh, them? 
uh, a comedian friend of mine called Andrew McBurney, who okay. who loves jangly guitars and like that new romantic era, um, and he's and he's quite a, a melancholic dude as well. Do it. In between days. No. Boys don't cry. Boys, Boys don't, don't cry. cry. Okay, can you give give me the year that came out? Don't look, uh, at, your, don't look at your computer. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. you now this will surprise a lot of people because you, you think eighties. That's the first time it came out was nineteen seventy nine, and then it got re released, and that's when it hit the second time. Yeah, because they were really young when they first sort of started putting music together. This is why I moved to West Sussex. I wanted to live in the hometown of The Cure. Then I went to Crawley. I'm like, I ain't living here. And I moved to a village nearby. Because <laughs> I, I I, called in sick at work um, and, and toured with The Cure. That is, you know, the Americans, they do The Grateful Dead. They toured with The Grateful Dead. I toured with The Cure. <laughs> well, you, so you just like followed them around <laughs> gig to gig. Amazing. I, I, I followed this, the, the song we're about to play. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I saw them on that tour. Uh, but and it was it was pretty trippy because they it did they did this thing with you know when you when you watch um, a 3D movie with the red and the blue glass mm -hmm. they used those lights to make the whole stage pulse and them to pulse so they used those two light colors to kind of and and it was pretty trippy man <laughs> um, all right so this track. oh also Rock Lobster seventy nine. No way. Yep. Tracks that you expect to be in one decade, but they actually just squeaked in. Dude, that's that's a show right there, Mike. <laughs> All right, we'll do it. You just you can just nail Blondie uh, uh, and, um, and 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 BB Twos and The Cure. <laughs> You'll win on those three right there. They're like, no yeah. way, those are eighties. Nope. All right, so tell me about this track. Okay, so you're about to hear one of the best songs it wasn't a single um but it's a, it's a lot of cure fans favorite song it's it's the title track um from their epic epic album like they just you didn't think they could get any better and they did i mean and i think the opening track on this album if you want to like get married or or have a funeral it's those kind of songs it's just super anthemic and glorious and big and but Disintegration's got a groove. And that's what I liked about uh, the way Zabol Torquist, the bass player would play. He played it like, he gave it some funk and a groove so you can dance to it and you can move to it. And that's why I was at The Cure were cool because they, they did indie, but they they put these, they were quirky with it and they gave you grooves and the bass lines were so sick. Um, so yeah, Disintegration by The Cure off the album Disintegration. So, that's The Cure. Who are we listening to now? Listening to uh, an album that's usually number one in my all-time favorite albums list. I have, I, have a, I have about five that shift around there. Um, Youth and Young Manhood by Kings of Leon, uh, Zeppelin II, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, Car Seat Headrest, Teens of Denial, uh, Pavement, Crooked Brain, Crooked Brain, uh, the Beatles, Revolver, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and BC mm -hmm. Boys, Check Your Head. That was their best album. I don't care about all you Paul's Boutique freaks out there. Check Your Head was better. 
Winter 92, that thing came out and it just changed the game. Money Mark on the keys, oof. But the album that I probably listen to more than anything ever is this album. Uh, Ed Lee from Ski Sunday, we would just always go on road trips. We would just rinse Green Mind. It was his first, uh, it was his first major record label album uh, that he did. I think he did it for Warners. And The Wagon was the big song on there, but I used to drive my kids to school every morning and I wouldn't play Teletubbies songs. I'd play them, Dinosaur Jr. And the last song, uh, Green Mind, has a really funny bit. You have to turn it up really loud. It's like, how you doing? And then it kicks in and it's funky. This is Dinosaur Jr. doing funk. And I always liked it. And it was, just, it, was a, it was a deep, buried track. It was a deep cut. And I like it when a deep cut, like we did with Disintegration, can be one of my favorite tracks by the artist. So Dinosaur Jr., Jay Mascus, Green Mind. By the way, I embarrassed myself with Jay Mascus. Uh, they were he did an acoustic gig at the World's End in Camden. And my buddy booked him, uh, Stuart McCoy. And he was he was doing lights. He said, do you want to help me do some lights? I go, sure. So I did lights. Jay Mascus is on stage on a stool. Uh, cat candles, acoustic guitar, cowboy hat, and it was killer. So I did the lights for him, and then afterwards we, we we snuck backstage to hang out. And Bill Janovich was there from uh, Buffalo Tom, big 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 fan of him. So I was just chatting to him, but I really wanted to talk to Jay Maskus. You know when you just want to talk to your hero, mm-hmm. and I finally got the gumptions. I interrupted his conversation. I go, hey man. Uh, I was living in Australia last year. We cut a photo of you out of Spin Magazine, and I blew tech to the window of our car, so we drove the east coast of Oz and surfed and skated the whole way up. You got to see Oz with us. And he was like, thanks. And he went back to his conversation, and I felt like a chump. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a weird thing when you... That moment when you approach someone like that, it's either going to... They're either going to be gracious and... And entertain it and or, and engage, or you've just interrupted. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then Bill started talking to me again. I, I, I was like, "Excuse me, Bill, JJ." <laughs> <laughs> but Bill, Bill couldn't be any nicer. By the way, during uh, the first lockdown, Bill did these happy hour sessions every Friday for free, and he just went whatever Zoom or Facebook Live and just jammed out loads of. Uh, deep cuts, hits from their Buffalo Tom album range, and it was wonderful. That was what was really cool about Lockdown, was just all that wonderful engagement with these artists, because now they're all making, they're, they're charging tickets for it, you know? Because yeah. they have to. Yeah. But it was really special to, to just to happen upon these, you know, live streams, and then and then just reading your messages, and just saying, okay, I'll play that song, you know? and having Yeah, that like there's, there's um... immediacy with them. Yeah, it's prompted people to engage in a different way, and I think a fair few people f- that are maybe uh, of a certain age are realizing it's easier than they thought it might be to engage with their fans that way, and that it's probably opened up a bit of the world to them. Yeah, um, there's be so much music coming out over the next year because everybody, you know, was at home recording. Imagine how much shit music is going to come out. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot I'm of people. Just kidding. <laughs> It's one all of the nice, good. It's all no, good. One, one of one of the nice things that happened like locally for me is that someone set up like a little open mic Facebook page for the town where I live. So people started posting videos of them just playing cover songs as a for something to do. Um, uh, and a, a mate of mine, a skateboarder called Ben Furnio, 
he posted and he 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 doesn't claim to be a musician like he figured he he learns by playing and figures things out he's one of those kinds kinds of guys and he posted a video that he'd made with an app where he could like paste together more than one video so he played the drums and then you could see him with the headphones and then he'd play the bass line in and then he'd play guitar and i was like oh that's pretty cool and then that prompted me to like well i could probably like record like one of my loop pedal arrangements and put this on here so and honestly with lockdown and being furloughed and all that kind of stuff like i felt like i'd smoked a joint or something afterwards like i was i was so relaxed for for sitting down and playing music and i was just like i got so much out of doing that i was just like i was so grateful that someone had set up that page and like people were sharing stuff and it just, just being creative got me through that sort of that first bit of lockdown where you don't know what to do with yourself yeah and i've, I've said it to tim as well it's just like creating stuff has been like a a crutch this whole time yeah. like which is why we launched the podcast like the second month of my furlough I was like I suppose I could start doing mixtapes again I treated it like a job I was recording like an epi- at least one episode a day during the week Jesus. so that I had like a back catalogue of things that I could edit and keep releasing so I, I've got like a stash of things so if I don't happen to record an episode that week wow but like it just gave me something to do yeah so that's that's good. I mean, that's that's good conviction right there to be doing that every day. I just, well, like I needed something to do, man. Like I'm, I'm used to yeah. like, like I work in sales. I'm used to hustling and convincing people to spend a lot of money on product. And I got, so I got I, three kids. I'm a single parent, man. It's hard enough just trying to feed them all day. <laughs> yeah, you, you you've got your hands full. Like, uh, we, uh, like my missus and I, we've got a, a three year old, so we 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 got to spend loads of time with him, and that's been beautiful. Um, but you still need to make stuff, you know. And I and I see that in you, like with the, you know, with the creating the the content around the the barbecue stuff. Like I watched the video you did the other day where you nailed the salmon to the bits of wood and smoked how, it. How am I gonna How am I gonna top that one? I I, I don't know, but because that you know, I I'm signing a year deal with Weber, and that was my first video for them. And my agent's like, "What are you doing? What do you mean?" They go. That's like the best video you'll ever give me. I mean, it's already had 20,000 uh, views, I think 35,000 page impressions just on Instagram. Have yeah. it, not even talking about it. But it was just, I was trying to do something that looked un- unaccessible. Where we put salmon, you know, with these hipster nails mm-hmm. right next to a fire. But I did it on Weber. So it was like, you know, anybody can do this. And that's how I try to treat barbecue. It shouldn't be on a pedestal, you know. Accessible. And, and, and get accessible. Gendel gave me some great advice. If you can believe it, <laughs> uh, I was I was the first chef or home cook artist, like pitmaster signed at Jamie Oliver's Food Tube channel, and I I'm not classically trained. I've worked in kitchens, but I, I chop the way I chop. I cook the way I cook. I make sure it's always safe, and I might not be the right way. And so people started giving me crap the way I held my knife and the way I cut and stuff. So I was like, okay, Jamie, I'm getting a lot of crap here on social media. Oh, don't worry, I'll put you in one of my kitchens. So he. Put me, he gave me a stage uh, at his butchery. So I did mornings, afternoons at his butchery, and then evenings I would cook in his in his restaurant barbacoa just to get all the some more skills. And then I told Gendel about it. Gendel's like, "What are you doing? What do you mean? I, I, I want to look a bit more slick." He's like, "Yeah, but most people that are watching, they're not slick. They're just like you and me. And you yeah. shouldn't try to put yourself on a pedestal, being all flash. 
He's like, do it the right way, but just do it your way. You know, don't don't try to be like super like badass. Just if you if you look like the way they cook, it'll be more accessible. My my favorite story about Gendel was he got pulled in to film some sort of like day in the life of Liam Gallagher or something. Oh yeah. Right. Were they on a helicopter with him? I don't I don't know, but like I just remember him sit, talking about being like in the background and no one was talking to Liam. Um everyone was just giving him like you know don't talk to the artist kind of vibe yeah. you know like and then again it was telling me the story it's just like I, was, I, was, I thought fuck this like Liam was outside smoking a cigarette and like and Gen went out and I was just like hey uh, I'm Adam I'm gonna be filming today look if I'm if, if there's ever a point that you want to stop filming and you just want a bit of a break, just say, like, I don't want to crowd you. I just want you to feel comfortable, I, you know. And, and and Gallagher was just like, oh, thanks for saying hello, man. No fuckers talking to me in there. I feel proper <laughs> weak. <laughs> and, it's some, and it's someone like Gend who, who's, who sees that yeah. outside looking in and goes, something's not right, and but he knows how to tweak it. Well, Gendel and Ward are notorious overthinkers. I think I think all of us are that are in, uh, that do content and stuff. We just kind of overthink things, so we try to read the room a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, and would like he can read a room, but I'm sure it's exhausting for him because he gets into that room and he just owns it. You know, he just gives yeah. it everything he's got and entertains every single person in that room. And and Gendel's you know learned a little bit of that, and he's does it as well. But they're both really good at reading people and situations and then immersing themselves in there. from Dinosaur Jr., we find ourselves at your final trap, but before we get stuck into that, for the benefit of anyone who's hearing you for the first time, where's the best place for them to find out about you and all your creative endeavors? Just find us at djbbq.com. Uh, Instagram's a great place to find us, djbbq. It's pretty easy. Uh, luckily for me, I DJ'd a party for the um, guy who started Instagram, Kevin, and when he sold it for a billion to Facebook, he called Jamie Oliver. like, I'm coming to London. I'm throwing a party. I want you to, you to help organize it. So Jamie's like, can you do this party for me? I'm like, oh, sure. You know, you don't say no to Jamie Oliver. No. And, um, and I did it. I did it for Kevin. Oh, my God. Everybody was there. Like, I thought there was going to be no one there. You know, maybe a couple of people see this. I'm on the decks. And there's Jared Leto with a bunch of supermodels and actresses from America all dancing. And then I'm like, oh, my God. And then I'm like, I got to do a week. It's hard to do a wee when you're wearing spandex. So I run to the toilets, and then there's there's um a Pip, Pippa Middleton, you know the and she was with David Loftus, who was going to be my photographer for my book. Hey Christian, sorry DJ Barbecue, Pippa Middleton, Pippa Middleton DJ Barbecue, and then I just spun around and said, "Can you unzip me? I really got a wee Pips." <laughs> Ran down to her, came back, and then I, I apologized for being rude to her, telling her I had a wee, and she's like, "Well." I've never been. Ha- I've never had that line, and I got a quick photo with her as I'm running back to my desk because I had a, I played a CD that played two songs in a row just yeah. to buy me some time. 
I'm, I'm running away from them, waving. And as I turn, I bowl over Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. What? Yeah, who was talking to Boy George. <laughs> so then I get behind my decks and I get a song ready. And I'm like, well, I'm, that was a pretty crazy little journey to the toilet, you know? I, I <laughs> oh my ran God. Pippa Middleton undressed me. I ran over Ronnie Wood, interrupted his conversation to, uh, to you know, to Boy George. And then I look in front of the pizza oven, and you will not believe the two people having a conversation. Boris Becker and Tiny Tempa. <laughs> <laughs> and then I meet this guy who was at Facebook. Who, yeah, we just bought Instagram. And he messaged me a year. He messaged me like about three, four months later. Hey, do you want to be DJ Barbecue? Because I was DJ underscore BBQ. And this guy had DJ Barbecue. And I was early on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, but he never posted. He's like, I go, you can't do that. He's like, yeah, I can. You're DJ BBQ. I was like, so I DJed the right party, met the right guy, and he made me DJ BBQ. And you guys can follow me there. Amazing. Your life is fucking ridiculous. Well, it, the cool thing you guys can do is follow us on Cool Walls. We have a poster site. So we've been buying vintage music tour posters because I've been collecting a ton of that. By the way, if you want some Built to Spill, like numbered limited edition tour posters, I've got them. Like crazy stuff. Huh. And original movie posters. So we've been, we've stockpiled this. We got about 450 posters and we're selling them now online. People want original like movie and music art. Amazing. Yeah. Now, you're, before we do the last song, can I put an outfit on for it? Just going to put a jacket on. If you want to. Because this is the jacket from the video. Okay, I've never had a wardrobe request before, but go for it. Well, I know it's a podcast, but you said you might clap some, you might eat some video of it. So, um, you can still hear me. I'm just going to put the, I'm just going to put the, uh, the jacket worn by... JBJ in the video for Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. How the fuck did you get that? My kid's guitar teacher, uh, Chris Green, considered one of the best guitar players in the history of England, he plays with everybody. Like he tours with like Slaughter, Firehouse, all those kind of aging late 80 hair metal bands. He plays with everybody, Taiketo. Um, and he he's loaned it to me. I don't know how he got it, but he's toured with like Survivor and Black, you know, all those kind of you no. Know, who's did I have a tiger? Survivor, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's toured with all those kind of washed up bands, and he they need to see a young guy to come in. Remember Winger, Winger, W I N G E R. So their career, Kip Winger did a song called Seventeen, and Chris went and toured with them. And Kip, said, Kip still believes the reason that their their whole band career was kind of tarnished was Beavis and Butthead. Because Beavis and Butthead wore, you know, ACDC, uh, Iron Maiden. They wore cool T-shirts. Stewie, he wore winger T-shirts. <laughs> and Kip Winger, to this day, is pissed off that he thinks, I go, the reason you guys finished was fucking Nirvana came and grunge just took over, you know? Uh, bon Jovi was able to adapt, but you know, they it took them a while. You know, Guns N' Roses, you know, they wanted something a bit more heavy. Yeah, my God, what? So when you watch the video for Bon Jovi living on a prayer, <laughs> that's, that's such an amazing artifact to wear around your house. It busted though. 
Oh my god. I gotta That's fix crazy. That well, you, you gotta fix it if you if if it didn't come to you in that condition, yeah, you gotta fix no, it. No, no, it, it came to me in that condition. I, I he he keeps saying you can have that jacket, Christian. I go, I cannot take that jacket. It's on hold. I get given a lot of cool stuff. John O'Verity will give me a wonderful painting. You know, John O'Verity, another ex-pro snowboarder, great uh, animator, content creator. Uh, and, you know, I can't take these things. I can't accept these gifts because they're they're so personal. So I'm like, I'll, I'll hold it for you. And then when you want it back, come ask for it and I'll give it back to you. Yeah, I don't think you can fix that. I think you have to leave it exactly as it is. <laughs> Like I think if you if you if you repair something like that, you're kind of you're diminishing the the history that's in that. Yeah, you're right. But I popped it when he came off stage. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, Ed Lee and I can beatbox this song. What? Yeah. So he he does the mm, mm, and I go <coughs> and and then Ed comes in. Johnny used to work on the. the <coughs> We should work on it together, man. Because you do all the loops, get me and Ed involved, and we'll do living on a prayer together. We've hosted so many events. When the mice go, you got you still have a crowd. You got to entertain them. And that's how we entertain them. Living on a prayer. Amazing. All right. So big box. <laughs> did you want to talk about the song any anymore, or? I think everybody knows this song, dude. Yeah, everyone it's knows. Only, it's only one of the. I mean, it's. Uh, it, it, it might be easy, but I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. This song rocks. It's fun. People love it. People get excited. You know, when you ever ask somebody what kind of music you like, and they go, "Oh, I don't like Madonna. I don't like this." I'm like, "Fuck you, man. Madonna's awesome. Don't ever just borderline Lucky Star. How it is are great songs. I love music, and there's, and 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 I had to quit being a bitch about." pop music because I was an indie nerd for a long time. I was really into rap, hip-hop, and then indie, and I was like, that's all I like. And then I'm like, man, why am I such a dick? You know, why am I trying to educate everybody? No, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of exactly the same sort of thing, but then you, you, you hit a certain age and you realize that you're being too precious and some songs are undeniable. This is it. And I didn't listen when I was younger. I had I was at K-Ski Radio in the the guy kept saying, Christian, I really like your alternative edge, you know, because I was playing Uncle Tupelo on the radio and these things. And and he was like, but can you just play the hits? <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm playing one of the biggest hits of all time, Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been a blast. <laughs> I'm sorry I talked too much, but they did warn you. So, that's this week's episode. As always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because we believe that all musicians should be paid something for what they do. So if you do want to listen to the mixtape in full, there's a link in the show notes that will take you to either Apple Music or Spotify. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review or hit the share button and send it to someone you think would enjoy it. But in the meantime, I will see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.